everybody. Welcome to the Hiking My Feelings virtual campfire. I am Sydney Williams, your host, and I'm excited to have you join us today. It is Thanksgiving if you celebrate, Thanksgiving if you think that Thanksgiving is garbage, and uh, we're really excited to kick off some more conversations here as our for our Take a Hike Diabetes series of community conversations. And tonight I have Kelly Begay. She is a dietitian, wellness advocate, and entrepreneur in the indigenous community. She's going to be sharing a little bit about uh, diabetes in the indigenous community. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but a couple updates about the campaign so far. So we are just over, uh, well, actually this is the last week of it by the time this goes live. So thank you everybody for participating so far. We have raised um, just under $2,000 from the Kilter campaign and we've had some other donations rolling in on the website. So we appreciate your support. And as we look ahead to 2021, um, we are starting to ramp up the Kilter campaign for 2021. So a couple changes that we're making from this campaign that we've been doing in November to what we're doing next year. Um, we are currently counting every activity as 100 points, which just adds up to a grand total, um, which are pretty arbitrary, except for to show like who's in first place as far as how many activities they've done. And moving forward in 2021, what we'll be doing is assigning one point per mile. So that will help us track mileage in a way that's easier to visualize and also make it just really clear on how far everybody's going and that's how you earn points. And we are also doing this as an annual campaign. So each month we'll have incentives for participation. We'll have incentives for fundraising milestones. And as we've mentioned before, we are hitting three different um, urban backpacking adventures next year to showcase how you can access the outdoors in your backyard. Um, you don't have to go to a state park. You don't have to go to a national park. You don't have to go uh, to another country <laughs> to have an outdoor adventure. You can recreate in the cities where you work, live, and play. So we're starting with Chicago in June, doing the Chicago Outer Belt, which is a 220-mile trail around the city. And then we're headed over to Michigan in July to do the Lake to Lake Trail from Lake Michigan to Pure uh, Lake Huron. And then in uh, September, we're headed to Washington, D.C., to do a backpacking loop around the DC metro area and we're partnering with the Capital Trails Coalition on that to create this backpacking loop. The Capital Trails Coalition manages like 460 something, 470 miles of trails in the metro area and we're creating a loop that could be used um, for backpacking so folks who live in the DC metro area can just like have a backpacking adventure in the city. So Stay tuned for more information on that. If you're interested in donating to this cause, you can go to hikingmyfeelings.org slash give or just click any of the donate buttons on the website at hikingmyfeelings.org. And tonight we have Kelly. So a quick introduction for Kelly. Kelly Wilson Begay is, she comes from the Kickapoo, Seminole, and Muscogee Creek tribes of Oklahoma. She is a dietitian, wellness advocate, and entrepreneur who feels a sense of responsibility to utilize her diverse skill set to serve the social and health needs of indigenous communities worldwide. She specializes in working on human, or she specializes in working on issues related to nutrition, type 2 diabetes, health communications, wellness, and more. As a Native person, Kelly has an in-depth understanding of the unique qualities and complex barriers that Native communities endure and advocates that their voices be heard. So, Miss Kelly, come on down. Price is right. <laughs> Excited to have you here tonight. Thanks for joining us. Um, one of the things that, hi, I'm so excited that you're here. Um, so I want to give listeners a quick backdrop on like what I had to do to find you. So I... <laughs> In doing research for our 2021 initiative, 
Um, the question that I'm trying to answer next year while we're on the road through storytelling and meeting awesome people all over the country um, is I want validation of my diabetes experience. So I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in 2017. It led to some radical changes in my life to manage the disease. And along the way, hiking became a huge part of my diabetes management plan, which helped me connect the dots between trauma from a sexual assault I survived in college and how that unresolved trauma had informed some pretty unhealthy coping mechanisms like eating Ben and Jerry's for breakfast and drinking bottles of wine to myself every night. And so for me in my journey, it seems as though, and this is what I'm hoping to understand better, it, that trauma from the sexual assault was a major contributing factor to a type 2 diabetes diagnosis for myself. So in doing research about this and looking at diabetes specifically, the prevalence of diabetes among racial groups, I discovered that in order, Native and Indigenous communities have the highest prevalence of diabetes, followed by Hispanic communities, followed by the Black community, followed by Asians and others, and then last on the list, non-Hispanic whites. So if I think about all the trauma that those different communities have endured, I think it's pretty clear that it could be said that trauma could be a root cause of diabetes. So given that this week or this month is Native uh, uh, Heritage Month. This month is the month that Thanksgiving happens. This is the month where all the things come together. I was really looking for somebody who has a voice in this community who's doing this work. And I tell you what, it was so hard to find. Every Google search that came up, I was like, where are these people? Why did they not exist? What is happening? So I found a paper from the American Diabetes Association, I think it's from like 2015, maybe earlier, and your name was on it. And I was like, okay, quick Google search. Who is Kelly? Okay, let's find her. Here we go. I think I found your personal website first, and then I found a philanthropy website that you work, an organization that you work with, and finally, here we are. So Kelly, <laughs> man, I'm glad you're here, and thanks for doing the work you do. I'd love uh, to hear a little bit about how you got, like, where are you from? Um, what are you doing today? And how um how did i like how did you end up doing this work this is so cool yeah thanks i'm i'm glad you found me i mean yeah it's it's a mystery i'm a mystery woman um just kidding but <laughs> yeah i'm from oklahoma um but it, i live in new mexico i've been living in new mexico for oh gosh almost total 15 or so years it's always been a second home to me and um i'm in albuquerque um, yeah, so I am a registered dietitian, and that's how I started my work. Really, what I was interested in is helping my family. Um, it just seemed like, you know, it seemed like everyone over the age of 40 had type 2 diabetes in my family. And I had um, a grandfather who, you know, was a double um, leg amputee. He was on dialysis, and I had to care for him when I was in high school. Um, and so that was really an eye opener for me and, you know, trying to figure out like, why, why is um, diabetes so rampant in, in our cult, you know, in our community and then also just in my family. And um, yeah, so that's kind of what sparked my interest in getting into this field. And, and that's kind of, that's been the focus of my journey, I guess, um, so yeah, so ended up in working as a dietitian, really started out in pediatrics and, and, and diabetes prevention programs. 
So a lot of that had to do with, you know, lifestyle and, um, you know, being more active, eating healthy, you know, um, helping with uh, childhood obesity, those kinds of things. Uh, and then, and then it moved on to more diabetes treatment. So diabetes education with adults and in my tribal community, which, um, which was really, I think, a, like a, I was just fortunate to work in my community. And, um, and that was working with the government. So the Indian Health Service is the healthcare system um, provided uh, on behalf of treaty obligations, you know, to Native Americans uh, because of the land that was taken, um, you know, hundreds of years ago. And, and so I can't say that's the best system <laughs> um, to provide health care to our people. But um, anyway, so that was my way of starting in, the, in working for my community and, and trying to give back and, and, you know, kind of worked my way up in different leadership capacities and, and found myself kind of at the top of in, in the IHS headquarters system um, and didn't like it. <laughs> really like I, I it was not for me and so I was like I this is not this is not what I want to do um with my life and you know it's like I really want to do more and more than actually more than working in the healthcare field but really working on all areas and social issues in our communities so that's kind of how I ended up in philanthropy actually so so yeah so it's been a kind of a crazy journey and I love it and um you know i think the the way we get to um kind of where we are really is 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 the prayers of our ancestors and the things that you know our family and our um our roots you know wanted us to end end up in in some you know some way and helping um our communities and and just our families and our relatives really so yeah, so oh, it's a, that's, that's kind of a roundabout way of <laughs> getting here. What a ride. So um, shocker, working in the government wasn't fun. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, oh. it's not. And yeah. so what are you doing these days? So I work, I do a lot of different things actually. And um, primarily working in Native Americans, uh, an organization called Native Americans in Philanthropy, but I also um, head up some wellness um, advocacy type projects, and those are kind of my passion projects. You know, I, um, one's called Zindigenous. I became a, a certified yoga instructor, and, and really that project was to help with um, Native youth and um, help with trying to teach healthy coping mechanisms um, in order to really cope with the world we're in and also um, it, and really the same lane as suicide prevention um, because that is another area in our communities that is a tough one and um, definitely needs some, you know, some help funding resources, you know, everything related to that. So that was kind of my way to, you know, give back um, in that area, um, really start with, you know, positive messaging, um, things like that. So that's one lane. And then, and then 
you know, natives are very, they're, we're humorous. We love humor. That's how we deal with things. Um, and I think the resiliency that we, we have is related to humor. And so I started another um, company, an online branding um, lifestyle company named after my grandparent, my great grandmothers, Maddie and Mabel. And uh, they were tobacco spitting um, sisters who I knew growing up. And so my, that company is called Spitting Sisters. And really it's a way to um, provide messaging for our community. Um, it, a lot of the things that, that are on that site probably won't make sense to a lot of people outside of the native community. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that was another way to to let our voices be heard in, in the way that we want to um, let have them be heard, you know, and just a way to connect with one another in our community. So, so yeah, those, that's just a few things that I'm working on. Very cool. A, a, a Jill of all trades. I dig it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so one of the questions um, that I have is, so as of like current data from the American Diabetes Association, as I mentioned earlier in the intro, the indigenous communities in America have the highest prevalence of diabetes. Can we talk a little bit about the history of how that came to be? Because from what I gather and the limited research I've done, and you've definitely got more knowledge and expertise in this area, it seems as though diabetes wasn't a problem until white people came over to America. Is that fair to say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's, I would say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, um, 1492 is really when things started, you know, and um, of course, there's not research that goes back that far, you know, but there right. is, it's just, that's what happened. Um, and so then, you know, a lot of the, um, the, the movement of our people um, further west moving um, our tribes from the, the, their home, you know, so the lands they knew, the skies they knew, the animals they knew, you know, everything that was home to them um, and having them relocate to a whole nother place that was not home where, you know, you have people maybe who were um, fishermen and who had, you know, salmon was maybe their, their staple food and we're moved to the desert, you know, I mean, so there, just the change in that, um, I think is, is one, obviously one way that, you know, you're relocating a whole um, group of people to an unknown area. Um, and so that was kind of the first wave of that. And then when the government comes in and provides rations, right? So they're like, okay, we're gonna take care of you. Um, here's some flour, some lard, some, you know, like all of this processed food um, that, you know, we're resourceful people. And so it's like, oh, you gave us flour and lard and we can make a fire. We're going to make fry bread. You know, I mean, that's how fry bread started. Right. I mean, so, you know, those kinds of things um, definitely did not help um, our people. And, you know, just the, I mean, that's just one area, but then, you know, when you think about the trauma of being relocated from home, right, um, and how much that it has impacted a people, a whole race of people, um, and all the other historical trauma that has happened over the years. Um, so there's a whole 
a whole mess of, of things that have happened. And, and actually there's a video that I hope we can share later um, that kind of shows a little bit of that, of that historical trauma. And, um, you know, that's just a whole nother, I think, area that, you know, I'm excited for what your campaign is and, you know, how you're going to be looking into that um, more. There's, there's a ton of resources and research actually that's been done on, on natives and the historical trauma and how um, a lot of our people call diseases like diabetes and cancer trauma diseases. Um, there you know, complications of trauma that's happened. So you're definitely, I think, you know, on point with, with your theory of um, trauma and its relation to type two diabetes. And so this research has been done. Um, it seems like so painfully obvious to me. Why is this not more like widely understood in the medical community as it exists right now in the United States? You know, I, that's a good question. I mean, I think that, you know, Western. <laughs> let's, let's um, speculate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, no, I mean, that's, I don't know. That's, you know, I think Western medicine, um, you know, they want to, there's a lot of times, you know, it's like finding the magic, whatever to fix it, um, you know, or treating the symptoms, um, you know, not really digging deeper into why, you know, something is happening or why, you know, someone is depressed and, you know, really digging deeper into that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I it, it doesn't make sense, but I think people are, our researchers are definitely on the right track. <laughs> um, as far as it's, I feel like there's more interest in looking at that. But I will say on the other hand, there's not a lot of research dollars going towards that. How do we get more money funding that kind of research? Like what, who do I need to go talk to? Like what kind of doors do we need to go knock on to make this happen? Cause I, I feel like because it's so like, and is it, I mean, is it, I don't want to say this, but I will like, is it just that people don't give a shit? Like, is that the root of it? Because like, I give lots of shits and like, I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me why there isn't funding to understand and treat this when it's, if you look at the numbers and you look at history, it's so abundantly clear that this is what's happening in these different communities. And like, why, why, I mean, I get it, like capitalism and pharma and all the things fix the symptoms. It's a body's a machine, not a, you know, organic mm -hmm. spiritual being, but I just like, I want to like shake my fists in the air about it. Like it's, it's really frustrating to hear that there is research being done, that this is being studied and yet there's not a lot of interest or investment in it. Right. No, I mean, and you're totally right about that. It's, it's, I don't, I don't think enough people give shits about it. Um, you know, or the people who can make a difference um, and really do something about it. You know, I just think there's a total disconnect and um, almost like, I don't know, almost like a, uh, I don't know, like a, a brainwashing kind of like, you know, it's just like either turning a blind eye or uh, I know there's usually two lanes of research into this and it's um, lifestyle, right? 
and then it's um, genetics, right? Those are like the two lanes of research that have been happening for, you know, hundreds of years, really. Um, and so, and that's, we know it's more than that. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I don't know. And, I, and I'm looking for the same answers um, <laughs> to help with that. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's, we'll go, we'll go rob some banks or something if we need to. Um, <laughs> like, it's just, it, it blows my mind. And like, I, I, I understand the fundamental answer to my question. And that's like, there's just not enough money and not enough people in the right places that care who can make decisions that get the money in the right places. And, but also raising my hand at the fist or raising my fist to the sky. <laughs> um, so could we talk a little bit about like current numbers and demographics. That was something that you mentioned you wanted to share a little bit about, and I'd love to hear more along the lines of like, so we know that 1492, we started moving people around. There's trauma associated with that. There's dietary changes associated with that. We're feeding you flour and lard. Disgusting. Um, so what, what's the current situation look like? So I'm looking at my other screen here just so I can try, so I'm not making up numbers. Um, but in, in That's the U.S., <laughs> like, yeah, um, there, so the, and I will, let me just say that, you know, the Indian Health Service is the, is the federal government's um, healthcare system for Native Americans. There's a lot of other rules that go into that, but um, there is a division of diabetes and there are really smart people who work there and really care about our community. So I'm not like totally bashing it, the government, everybody in it, because there are good people in there. Um, but, you know, there of is course. a whole division yeah. <laughs> um, who does this kind of research, or, you know, just pays attention to the cases that are out there um, and how many people and what kind of treatment or what kind of um, health care that they're receiving. And so I am looking. So in the Indian healthcare system, there are just over 300 facilities who keep track of the data. So um, let me back, let me scoot back a little bit because there are 574 federally recognized tribes in the United States. Um, there are just over 600 tribes um, and not at all of them are federally recognized. So that's like another like government way of saying, yes, we like deem you a tribe, right? So 574 are federally recognized. That means they can, you know, um, receive federal dollars um, and, re and the people in those tribes can receive healthcare from these federally uh, ran healthcare, either clinics or hospitals, you know, things like that. Um, so, so based on that, uh, there are 300 who've reported to this, um, the Indian Health Service and their diabetes audit. There are more than 127,000 um, native people with diabetes based on on the data that they received. Now, I will also say that there are a whole lot of natives who live in urban areas who are not going to one of these, um, these Indian health systems, right? And so there, those aren't 
necessarily being counted in this number um, unless they go to, you know, like a designated Indian health um, facility. So that's kind of like just the, um, the quick and dirty on that. Now, some of these, um, so the Indian Health Service, right, is this big federal healthcare system. They have received funding for 22 years now, um, where they're running, they're called special diabetes programs for Indians. And there are just over 300 of those kinds of programs that are either ran by tribes um, are ran by these federally, um, uh, federal Indian healthcare systems. <laughs> um, most of them are ran by tribes, I will say that. So money has been coming in. Uh, the tribes are able to use some of this funding. And let me just say it's not enough funding. <laughs> but over the years, they've been able that, to... That probably goes without saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so over the years, they've been able to like establish these systems that work for their communities and their people, and um, and they've made huge improvements on, you know, the prevalence of diabetes in their communities. And they've started, um, you know, youth programs where they're uh, having, you know, doing diabetes prevention programs, and you know, uh, as a way to help prevent diabetes. Some of this is addressing historical trauma and, you know, looking at how they can help people um, kind of heal from the trauma that they've experienced in their lifetime, but then also trauma that's been passed on generations. Um, so there are programs that have done a ton of great work. Uh, they know it's best for their communities and they've been able to really um, put, you know, make some huge improvements. So there is some good news to that. And the thing is, there needs to be more funding. <laughs> That's like the bottom line for everything, you know? Yeah. So when it comes to um, elected officials, who, who determines, like what department in the government determines how much funding goes there? And is that something that folks listening can like write their senator about or their congressperson mm -hmm. like is that something that can be advocated for by people to their elected officials yeah definitely so it's the department of health and human services is is who and who ihs is under um and that is uh the sdpi program is under them so there's a lot of different um Congress, it, it, Congress does make the decision to fund SDPI. SDPI money uh, goes to the IHS system to like disperse and manage, you know, data and things like that. So yes, writing into um, your, your, you know, your representative um, definitely will help. There's actually a... Um, I mean, I can send the link to this too, but there is a listing of, you know, 35 states have these programs in them. So those obviously are going to be the, the, the main states, you know, where you're going to want to um, make your voice heard about this. Yeah, so that's definitely one way to help with that. And then also just giving, giving to um, Native communities and tribes themselves. I mean, you know, there's kind of a myth that, um, well, there's two things that come up when I when I talk about this, and one of them is that 
um, Native Americans don't pay taxes, which is not true. We pay taxes just like everybody else. The other one is that, um, that we have casinos and that we all have money, which is not true. <laughs> we don't all have casinos. We don't all get money. We don't get free stuff. I mean, so I just want to like say that because seriously, that is one thing that's like, it's, you hear that all the time. And then the other thing is, you know, we don't all live in TPs. Like we are still here and we are um, modern day. Like we do things, you know, like we, we do podcasts, we do, you know. You yeah, have so. jobs, you have families. Like, right. Yeah. 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 Shocking. This is, this is so like breaking news, everybody. Native <laughs> Americans are real people just like us. What the hell? My God. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for clearing that up and for, for yes. delivering the breaking news here at the virtual campfire. I'm glad everybody can now be rest assured that natives are paying taxes. Oh my goodness. And it's, but I mean, I think, but I think that like, and I appreciate your humor and I'm glad that we're laughing because like, I feel like, so I grew up in Kansas. Um, my history books were incredibly whitewashed and just not at all representative of any of the things that actually happened in this country, as it feels like. Um, so a lot of the knowledge that I have, I sought out for myself as an adult, because like you come to a point as a, especially as a white person in this country, like you come to a point where you're like, huh, I don't think this is fair. This is kind of weird. So I appreciate you sharing some of these like misconceptions those weren't ones that I had I figured you guys all <laughs> participate in society the way we do um but I it's it's definitely something that I know a lot of people will be like oh new news to me so I appreciate you sharing that um are there any other myths you want to bust while we're on that topic because it sounds like you've got a handful <laughs> uh let's see um no, I mean, if it comes to me, I'll let you know. But those are kind of the main ones that were <laughs> okay. like, oh, my goodness. Like, I can't believe we're still having to educate on this, you know? Right. So. Well, and I think, too, like, for for folks that are listening that aren't, you know, this might be their first foray. Because I know 2016 was a big election for, like, people waking up. Um, I know this year mm -hmm. was as well as far as, like, figuring out how they feel about social justice and all the different issues that um, – affect different communities in this country. But one of the things that I think is really interesting about all of it is, uh, and something that's come to me, and this is totally new to me, um, as somebody who is an advocate and enthusiast of the outdoors in like recent years, is land acknowledgements and how mm -hmm. it's just, it's a really simple way to honor the people that have been stewarding this land for millennia prior to us arriving here um, and are board member, uh, one of our board members, Gabacha, she's our director of social responsibility. She led a workshop for take a hike diabetes around land acknowledgements. Um, leave no trace, the 10 essentials. One of the things that was shocking to me that I didn't know was to see if not law, like 
it's just something that you do and it's like it's the first thing that happens at events and it's a it's a thing that is part of the event flow and there's no question about it it's not like well why do we have to do it why is it appropriate um so for anybody listening if you're not already familiar there's a website called nativeland.ca n-a-t-i-v-e hyphen land.ca and you can like google your address and see where like what tribes used to live or still live on the land that you occupy currently which i think is really interesting so um obviously it's not like that's the bare minimum of research we should be doing like use that as an entry point and then go google these tribes and see how you can give specifically to the tribes as kelly mentioned um but kelly is there a place where like what what's your recommendation for how folks can start to give back to these communities because is it like is there a digest of indigenous resources where we can go donate is there is it as simple as like googling your address and indigenous communities like what's what's the best way for people to get connected with tribes and like what and for folks because i mean this is something that i'm sure a lot of our listeners want to know like what's the what's the best way to go about that without it being performative because Mm -hmm. i know a lot of people are genuinely interested in giving back to these communities honoring these communities and respecting them how how do you go about that and like not make it feel icky or performative? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that's an, a, a really, it's a really hot topic in the outdoor industry in particular, like your land acknowledgement, like, are you doing it because you care? Are you doing it because you want social media right. points? Like what's, right. uh, what's the, what's the pulse on that side of things um, within the community and how, how can we best show up? Yeah, no, those are great questions. And I really appreciate you asking them. um, Because that's so true. You know, you don't want to have a land acknowledgement as a checking a box. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot actually that goes into that and, and learning about where you are, right? And how even you got there, you know, and there's actually some really good resources out there. And it's, um, there's one that comes to mind, it's called homework. So it's like, studying your home or like how you got there whose home was it first you know those kinds of things and there's a whole um just a bunch of questions that help you kind of drill down and really find out the meaning of the land that you know the plants like everything um and so that is actually a really great exercise if you you know, people really want to dig in a little bit more um but it really is almost like this um, internal, almost like a spiritual thing that you, you're appreciating, you're actually being mindful, you know, about um, the answers that you're finding. And so it's, I can definitely share that link, but there's a really great website. It's um, called, it's, I think it's nativegovernance.org. They have a ton of really great educational Um, two or three minute kinds of videos that help people understand. There's also a really um, great organization called Illuminatives, and they are really about educating. Um, They were huge in in helping with the Washington team name change (laughs) um, and things like that. And so there's, there are just a ton of really great resources out there right now. Um, and I can definitely share those, but, um, yeah, so, I mean, just going back to the original question, like, I really appreciate you asking that and that it is something that, um, 
should be more than just, you know, just a, a box check kind of thing. So um, I would say that educating yourselves and digging deeper, um, you know, is really the best thing to do. And, you know, I guess if you're interacting with Native people, I think one thing um, that's important to us is, is to really just ask, you know, how we want to be uh, addressed, right? Or like, um, you know, because there are terms that are, that are not, you know, that we don't really prefer, <laughs> um, especially when a non-Native is using it. Um, but there's actually, uh, so going back to some of my work now at Native Americans in Philanthropy, we are doing some of this education, educational resources uh, kinds of things where, um, you know, it's like a quick and dirty on, you know, all the different terms that, that we use in our communities and things like that. So um, yeah, I can definitely share that too. So I feel like there's a whole lot of resources yeah. that, you know, that I can definitely um, get to you guys. That would be awesome. So we can circulate those so everybody knows. Um, yeah. So in particular, like when I, so we are currently in the mountains east of San Diego. We're on Kumie ancestral territory. And the owner of this property is part Native American. So he is, he's adopted. He hasn't like done 23andMe. So he doesn't know like what tribe or whatever, but like he is aware of his um his ancestry and spending time here and living here on the land with somebody who is connected to it in that way I've never had an experience like that before in my life like I grew up in Kansas we moved from an apartment to a house that we built in a like subdivision where all the houses look the same like there was no connection to the land at all um mm -hmm. when I was growing up and it wasn't until I came to Southern California and started hiking. My husband grew up in New Hampshire and he introduced me to hiking down here when we left Chicago and we came to Southern California where again we have mountains and he's like oh we should hike there's things to do here it's not just cornfields um, but I feel like one of the I think like one of the best ways to get folks aware of how to honor the land that we live and work and play and recreate on is by spending time outside and doing like going for a hike and and doing this research ahead of the hike that's something that we've been doing with our groups lately mm -hmm. um and something that i did before our hikes as we went around the country last year was just like who who was here before us like and mm -hmm. then like look it up and and see like what did they use these different plants for? What were, what were the animals that were, you know, native to this area? And especially when we were in Yosemite, like, I have never felt more inspired slash disgusted in my life. Like, the Yosemite Valley is one of the most beautiful places I've ever laid eyes on. And when I stood in front of El Cap, I cried. Like, I got out of the van, I looked at it, and I was like, oh, my word. And as we were backpacking through the back or through the high country this summer, we came across to be part of the, and forgive me because like I pronounce things by how I read them. I don't know how they're actually pronounced sometimes. So Paiute, Paiute. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Paiute. Yeah. Made it. Okay. So Paiute <laughs> tribes. Um, we, we were walking and like by our campsite, there was this huge slab. It was like a hundred, hundred feet long of granite with just a ton of pictographs on it and it was wow. astounding and it was it was off the trail like it was it wasn't like 
if we didn't talk to somebody that was coming, that was going up when we were descending into the Tuolumne Canyon, um, I, we wouldn't have known about it. And it was one of the most like breathtaking things I've ever seen. Cause then you're like, okay, how did they get, like, what materials did they use to make these pictures? How long have they been here? What did mm. they stand for? Like, I'm a naturally curious person, but I feel like once we spend some time outside, especially if you connect to the healing power of nature, then you want to protect those places and you want to learn more about oh, yeah. them. So that's part of our mission is like our, like our legit mission, like mission statement is to introduce people to the healing power of nature um, to help improve community health. But I think like if there's any way that we can get more people outside and kind of like through the back door of caring about it because like history books mm -hmm. haven't done anybody any justice. Um, right. We don't have enough representation in media or in movies or on TV or whatever. So like, I feel like spending time outside and then doing your own research is a really good way to one, learn more about yourself and the land, but also like, so Um, Sam, uh, <laughs> uh, you're cutting out. And if so, are there any stories that you'd like with our community about? Uh, so since sorry. this is a virtual campfire, <laughs> all good. Am I back? <laughs> yes. Okay. I think, yeah. Since since this is the virtual campfire um, and we're sharing stories of hope and healing and inspiration in the outdoors, have you found healing in nature? And do you have any stories that you would like to share with our community about an experience that you've had outdoors? Uh, I just think it's so it's, it's fascinating. And I think um, I, it's like inspirational every time, you know, and one thing actually that I've started doing more of, is grounding you know so really being connected to the earth um so barefoot or even just with my bare hands you know the palms of my hands and and feeling that that frequency you know that's there i don't know what it is um you know i grew up urban you know in in a in a pretty much tulsa oklahoma and so oh that's where my sister was born Oh, really? <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so I, I can't say that I've grown up in, like, you know, loving nature and, 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 and all of that. But as I've grown, gotten older, and I think, you know, really paying attention and, and being mindful, again, of, like, how things affect you, and just taking a time, a time out, you know, and feeling that is, is so powerful, you know, and I think, it, again, it's like, inspiring every time, you know, it, and, and I don't know if it's because I want it to be, you know, inspiring. And so I'm like, making it happen. Or if it really is, and I think it really is. But you know, um, no, I just I don't I can't really think of like, one story. I um, Yeah, I just, it's awesome. I mean, I, I love it. <laughs> In general, Kelly's a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. So um, we talked about how we can write to our elected officials and talk about funding for IHS. Um, there's already great work that's being done out there and we'll circulate some links about that. Um, 
one of the things that we talked about prior to starting to record was some mainstream perspectives around cultural appropriation. Let's talk about that. Like, where do you want to go with this? Because there's a lot of that <laughs> in every <laughs> facet. Like, any possible thing that could impact Indigenous communities, we have appropriated some way, somehow. So, um, let's chat about it. Yeah, okay. Well, gosh, I know there's, there's a lot. Um, I think one term that we, we have used is, is pretendians. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like <laughs> um, <laughs> making sure that, you know, you stay in your lane, honestly, is kind of what it comes down to. And that, um, I mean, that's just a word of advice, but, you know, things like, I'll see, um, like different spas or something. And it's like, oh, have your aura blessed with sage and the shaman who is not native, has no connection to any kind of, you know, I mean, so it's those kinds of things that I'm just, you know, it's again, it's like this fair warning of be careful of who you support, what you support, you know, do the research. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's kind of, <laughs> I know there's like a whole lot more I could say on this, but it's good. I just want to like, give, give the advice that I think might help. <laughs> Don't be a pretendian copy. So yes. for folks that so and well, let's actually let's talk about sage because where I live, um, there is white sage in abundance all over this property. And mm -hmm. my first introduction, <laughs> you man <laughs> my first introduction to saging as a ritual was in a let's just call it a pretendian led um group where a nice white lady who's somewhat spiritual who likes crystals was also like here's a big ass stick of sage you have to burn the whole thing for it to seal the ceremony and i was like this doesn't yeah. feel right to me um yeah. and when we moved here to this property um, I was speaking with uh, Dustin, who's the um, owner of the property, and he was like, yeah, no, like, let me show you how to harvest it. You can, like, dry it yeah. and burn, like, one leaf. Like, that's all you need. You don't need a whole bundle because especially the, uh, the white sage in Southern California is, like, endangered, if not borderline extinct. Like, it is being way over-harvested and not sustainably. Mm -hmm. um, so what... As somebody who loves the scent of sage and appreciates the ritual of burning sage, what is a way to do that and honor the traditions of indigenous communities? Because like, I think, and actually a question that I have, like, are we allowed to do that and honor, is there a way to do it and honor it and pay respects to the traditions? Or is it like off limits? Because I know there's a lot of people listening, especially folks, um, that are like into like new age healing and like spirituality who are coming around to these kinds of traditions via a different avenue. Like they're not identifying these as indigenous first. Um, so is there a way to, to participate in these kinds of rituals without being disrespectful? Yes, totally. And it's not off limits. So I, sorry, I don't want to like give the wrong message because I think there's a difference when you're, you're picking it and harvesting it yourself um, to use for yourself, for your own ritual and your own cleansing, which is still very valid. 
it's when you harvest it and sell it <laughs> is when that's <laughs> not, you know, a good practice at all. And so, you know, right. so there is a difference and I, and it is healing and powerful, you know, for everybody. And so, um, you know, what you're saying, just acknowledging that, you know, this is a, a practice or a ritual that was, that started with the first people, you know, um, of this land and that's it, you know, I mean, that's really, um, just being respectful about it, you know, and then not, you know, not wasting it, not, you know, all those things, you know, making and sure. And don't call yourself a shaman evil. if you aren't one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't even use that word in our, in our <laughs> but um, it's more or less a healer, but um, right. yeah, so I mean, and, and, you know, just the natural healing properties of things like crystal and sage and sweet grass and, you know, um, cedar, I mean, all those are, yeah, that's the natural healing medicine. Um, but just, you know, again, not like selling it for your own benefit, you know, that kind of thing, or right. using it to sell yeah. a practice, you know. Yeah, so like doing it because it's a thing you want to do and you don't need to make it a capitalist adventure like that's a that's a nice way to enjoy these kinds of rituals just do it because you want to and not to sell it again yeah. one of those things that seems abundantly clear and obvious to me but apparently is not <laughs> yeah i know there's a lot of groundbreaking so, uh... <laughs> so uh when it comes to um thanksgiving and this week so this episode is going to air on thanksgiving so for folks that celebrate good for you um what is a way like how can we start talking about this differently like um there's a gal that i follow um her name is jolie and she is in uh the sierra foothills up in northern california and she calls it thanksgiving like what are some different ways that we can start to shift the language around this because I already like, I know that the history of Thanksgiving is problematic and not accurately represented in our history books. Um, but what are ways that folks who aren't indigenous can pay respect and honor indigenous folks during this week? If you like, I don't, I don't care to celebrate Thanksgiving. So like, what are ways that I can advocate or educate or point people in the right direction or use language that shifts away from that to something that's more accurate and respectful? So I think just, um, I think just acknowledging how it started, right? I mean, like, um, and really, so I'm, this is, I don't talk about this very often, but, you know, I think understanding that what we were taught in our education system was not right. Um, telling the true story, so not sugarcoating, right? What ha what really happened um, and teaching others, like teaching, especially our kids, you know, like the real stories. And there again, are more resources out there that I could share that really help with that, that are actual tangible, you know, things um, that you can use. But again, it's going back to that um, awareness and, you know, being mindful and educating yourself and, and others about the truth, you know, the history, the true history and the true story of, of 
of what happened. Um, but again, you know, there's another side of me that's like, it's also a time, it is a time to be thankful. You can still have gratitude, you know, for the things in your life. Um, but just understanding that you can do that every day, <laughs> you know, you don't have to <laughs> save it for one day in November. Um, right. But, you know, just so, so that kind of thing. And I can't, so it's hard because I can't say that we celebrated Thanksgiving, but it's like, okay, well, my whole family is off of work <laughs> and right. if, if there were other days when we were off work, we would always, we would gather anyway, because we're social people. We like to gather, we like community, we like to eat. I mean, you know, like, so it's, again, it's like one of those things where I think as a native person, it's been actually really hard to kind of walk these two lines you know it's like the reality of oh I bet well we work we make a living we're off these days it's called Thanksgiving yeah we're gonna eat I mean you know what I mean it's just it's 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 difficult um but definitely you know I guess almost it's just understanding the true history and again sharing that and educating others who don't know or who don't know better <laughs> so um is there anything else as it pertains to indigenous health diabetes um this month november anything else that's on your heart and mind that you'd like to discuss or share that we haven't touched on um you know i just think that kind of where I started at the beginning, you know, a, a lot of times as Native people, and I encourage everybody to do this, is to really think about um, where you come from, your ancestors, how you got to where you are, um, and then using, you know, going back to those traditions and using those things to kind of help you stay strong and be resilient and, you know, do those good things that you, um, that you feel is, is healthy for you and that, um, you know, and, and helps you accomplish the goals that you want to accomplish, really. You know, we're all in this individual journey and I just think we haven't, we didn't come to this on our own, right? I mean, we had some, some help from um, those before us. So, you know, just keeping that in mind again and, you know, educating yourself again on <laughs> the resources that I'll share. Um, and then also that the video that I'll share is really, really powerful. I really am going, yeah, to encourage you to, if anything, watch that. I'm very much looking forward to seeing this video. So for anybody that wants to follow you or uh, keep up with what you're doing, where can people find you and how can they do that? <laughs> you, can, you can follow me on Instagram. Um, I'm not very active on it, actually. But when things happen, I do post when I can. <laughs> but my Instagram handle is actually my, my Kickapoo name, Nenekaikwa. Um, and so that's N-A-N-E-C-I-K-U-A. -A. Um, but we can share that, too. <laughs> Perfect. We're going to have a whole novel Fantastic. of resources. <laughs> we are. And that's the thing. Like, that's what it's all about. It's just like, I just want to provide our community and, 
anybody who stumbles upon this with as many resources as possible so that they don't because when we know better we do better and not everybody has the wherewithal or the time or the gumption to go do this research themselves so i figure if i can give them a whole big long list then i can't say i didn't give you nothing like <laughs> you, right. you've been yeah. introduced to a list of resources and then you hopefully run with it and make the world a better place <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I have absolutely just loved chatting with you and I look forward to supporting um, the work that you're doing in whatever way that we can. And thanks for joining us around the virtual campfire. Yes. Thanks for, thanks for finding me. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> All right. You too. <laughs> Thank you for joining us around the virtual campfire. Sometimes we talk about heavy topics, sometimes we tell poop stories, but regardless of what we've discussed, we always like to end the show on a high note. At the end of our live broadcasts, we invite our community to share what they're grateful for in a segment called the Group Gratitude Circle. Every week, I'm thankful for you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy life to connect with us and witness these stories of hope, healing, and inspiration in the outdoors. If you'd like to gather with us around the campfire live each week, join the Hiking My Feelings virtual campfire VIPs. If this were a legit talk show, you'd be sitting in our studio audience. We haven't been picked up by a major network yet, so for now, we gather on Zoom. Here, you can connect with the community before and after the broadcast, hang out for sound check when we have musical guests, participate in the Q&A, join in on the group gratitude circle, and be eligible to receive prizes and gifts from our sponsors, partners, and guests. Learn more and join us at hikingmyfeelings.org slash campfire. Don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, and anyone else who could use a dose of community and connection. Follow us on Instagram, we're at hikingmyfeelings, and you can tag your journey with hashtag hikingmyfeelings. And if you're picking up what we're putting down and you want to be part of this movement, join the Hiking My Feelings family at family.hikingmyfeelings.org. In case nobody told you lately, you are a brilliant human who is destined to do epic things in this world. Join us next week for more stories of hope, healing, and inspiration in the outdoors. Until then, happy trails! <laughs>